right, so here we are, our first podcast for Faith, what I'm calling Faithcast, <laughs> and we are going to discuss theological things, practical things, and uh, things related to the church, and today we have Shiloh. Yes. Shiloh, my uh, long-lost son. Very excited to be yeah. on this. Yes, uh, Shiloh has recently survived a uh, car accident, uh, so he's lucky to be alive and grateful, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking the reason is probably this podcast, you know? It must be <laughs> it. Uh, the Lord wanted you to be on here. Exactly. Uh, to discuss, what are we going to talk about? We're going to get into issues dealing with canonicism, right. the person of Christ and the two natures united probably get into a little bit of church history, but um, we, what sparked this discussion is the, the church is going through fundamentals of the faith in the mornings before service, and we just don't have enough time to get into all the issues related to this important topic, so I've decided to discuss it with my favorite father. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Uh, that is correct. This morning uh, in church, we went over the I am's of Christ and just looking at the scripture and uh, it was, you know, quite a, quite a study and we never got into uh, much further than that. But just looking at the I am's, we saw that Jesus makes unequivocal statements about his deity uh, right. in the, right. I think one of the highest statements is John eight fifty eight, where he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And that is a statement that uh, incited the, uh, the, you know, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, to stone him because he was equating himself with Yahweh. Right. Which and that's, that's the question we have to ask right off the bat. Like, why do the Pharisees react with such vehemence to yeah. him say this and, and really it takes it takes a person who's studied their scriptures and and understands the callback which is to exodus 3 right right exodus 3 4 uh where god declares himself to moses uh to be yahweh the name uh that that he reveals himself into um all, all for all time to all generations this is who right. he is it's interesting, uh, you said, why would they want to stone Jesus for saying, I am? In John uh, 10, verse 30, he, the Jews answered him, explaining exactly why they would want to stone him. It is not for good work that we're going to stone you. This is, uh, what did I say that John 10, 33? It's not for good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And so there is the... Uh, the crux of the issue, they see Jesus standing before him, them, and they recognize that he is making a claim of deity. And because of that, here is Jesus in the flesh. It, it doesn't compute. Right. And, that, and that's, the, that's the essential, the crux of the issue. How do we have this person who comes with no former majesty, as Isaiah 53 says, and yet he makes these claims, these I am statements of John, which it's going to be really insightful to study these one at a time, right, and look at them 
but why, why does, how is that, that being, who clearly has arms and legs and flesh, right. able to make these statements in truth and then also do the signs that he does? Right, and for, the, for those who saw him and, and recognized that he was a man like any other man and that he hungered and that uh, they clearly uh, recognized his weakness in, in, in their attempts to try to kill him, they thought they could kill him, right. so he was just an ordinary man to him, to them. Uh, but you know, John one fourteen says the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Those uh, disciples or those who who knew the truth could see Christ in his flesh, and yet they also saw his glory. And, uh, and, and I think you've got references to the transfiguration, but also to the, the uh, display of power. Uh, you know, you know the, uh, the, the, I think, culminating in particular in John to the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I mean, that was a display of omnipotent power. Right. He declares to Lazarus, rise up from the dead. It's a command. And Lazarus obeys. And so this man... Uh, makes a statement of divinity and then he backs it up by a declaration that only a God can make. And uh, in, in all of the miracles up to this, you know, where he's uh, turning water into wine and he's, uh, you know, he's making, breaking pieces of bread and fish to defeat thousands and then he heals the lame man uh, and, and, then, um, and then the blind man in John 9 uh, and, then, and then culminating in, in, in uh, this raising of Lazarus from the dead, it is a declaration of not just his, not, not just words, but power. And so this word that became flesh, they, right. can, they, they, they can see, uh, you know, like Luke 24, 39, uh, see my hands, my right. feet, that is I myself, touch me and see, for his spirit does not have flesh and bones. As you see that I have, here he is a man in flesh and blood, and yet he clearly has omnipotent power. So what does this have to do with uh, what, what we, in fact, maybe a better question is, Shiloh, what, what do we mean when we say uh, canonicism? What, what does that phrase mean? Right. Uh, the phrase actually comes from the Greek in Philippians 2, uh, where, where Paul is talking about the humility of Christ. And he's giving the command to the Philippian church to uh, have this same mind in them that Christ had when he, although being in the form of God, emptied himself and took on the form of a slave, being obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. That word for empty is kineo. Uh, that's the, the, the lexical form, right, of the word. And so we get from kineo, uh, the word canonicism. So right. essentially the people, the proponents of canonicism will say uh, when Jesus becomes man, when he becomes... So he takes on flesh. Right, he takes on flesh and there's, there's a, a lessening of his deity. He gives up his deity in some respects. So there are several, several different ways that people will say this. They'll either say he, he uh, gives up the voluntary use of his attributes mm -hmm. or... Uh, a little bit stronger, they'll say he stops being God for a time and then takes that up upon right. himself. So full-on canonicism would be to say that Jesus became a man, but he quit 
or, or he stopped becoming a right. god, right, or be the god. And so he, 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 for a period of time, gives up his divine in order to take on his human, human. his yeah. human nature. Uh, and then, and then, a semi-canonicism would be to say that he voluntarily gave up the use of some of his divine, right. Uh, and so full-on canonicism, he emptied himself, he's no longer God, he's man. A semi-canonicism would be that he is part man, part God, I guess. Some sort of... Right, some sort of... Although they wouldn't... It wouldn't be put that way. It would be he gave up the divine... Uh, he gave up the voluntary use of some of his attributes. Right. Uh, so I mean, what, what's wrong with that? Well, well, there are several issues, and I think we've gotten into it already like what strikes you first is how if he's given up the voluntary or let's start with hard canonicism for a second uh if he's given up the these right beat god if he stopped being god then how can we account for his raising of lazarus from the dead not on borrowed authority he doesn't say father please raise lazarus from the dead he says Lazarus comes forth, and right. Lazarus comes forth. Right, so we have a, a, a powerful declaration, right? a, a command that, declare, that, that displays his omnipotence. So he didn't give up his omnipotence. No. Right. So, so if, as far as hardline canonicism is concerned, it's already invalidated because he's able to make an omnipotent claim right. to, to raise Lazarus from the dead. But, but going to a softer canonicism, yeah, that, that still... F- like, that still fails because we, we don't know which attributes he would have divested himself of, right? Well, what about Matthew twenty four thirty six? But of that day and hour, no one knows, speaking of the, the return of, of Christ uh, or the rapture of the church, which I tend to think this is. But regardless, no one knows this, this day of the Lord that is coming not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So is Jesus, who is the Son, who is God, declaring that he is no longer omniscient? Because he says, of that day or hour, no one knows. What, what, what do we do with that? Well, there's, there's an interesting reality of hermeneutics, which is that you don't allow one verse of Scripture to govern your entire mentality when you're thinking about these things. So, yes, we have that passage, but another passage I think we should point to is the, the, the passage in, you know, where he heals the paralytic, right? It's, it's lowered through the ceiling, and he says the Jews start thinking among themselves. Like, how does a man do that? How can he forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And he knows what they're thinking yeah. in, that, in that passage. So clearly he's displaying right. some kind and of another And another thing is that uh, in John 2, uh, after he cleanses the temple and does all these signs in Jerusalem, and people are believing on him, the the text says he doesn't entrust himself to them, because he, because he didn't have a need of anyone to tell him what was in man. Right. Because, because he, he knew, knew he yeah. knew what was in man. There's omniscience there. Yeah. And then in John four, you have a similar situation where where he is able to say, "You have no husband," or "You have right." right when the woman says, "I have no husband," he says, right. "Well, you spoken truly because." You actually had many husbands, and the person right. you have now isn't. That's right. another example of omniscience. So we take these two passages, right? The Matthew 24 passage, 2436, and the John 2 and John 4 and elsewhere, and you have to compare them with one another and say, how can we 
put these together in an contradictory manner. But I think that's an excellent reality. We, this, is, this is what we would call proof texting when you, uh, when you want to hold on to a particular view, and so right. you go find a text of scripture, and it seems to support your view, but you're not using what we call the analogy of the faith or analogy of scripture, where we're comparing scripture right. against scripture. And it ends up being eisegetical, and eisegetical just means it's coming from the Greek word uh, to bring into, right? Versus exegetical, which is to bring out of, or to to, to uh, you know to instead of going to a text of scripture and wanting to know what it means and comparing scripture to scripture, that's called exegesis. That's that's you know that that's when when we when, when I preach, you know, I spend this time working through what does a text say. Uh, and I want to draw it out, but then there's eisegesis, which would say, well, I want it to say this, uh, and I don't really care what it says, or maybe I'm not even thinking that, uh, but that's essentially what's happening. You become, uh, you, you, end up, you end up imposing things in the text, and this is what you're saying. We have to compare Scripture to Scripture. I was thinking of John 14, 6, uh, which says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and, and this is where, uh, you know, you were comparing Scripture to Scripture, but we're also, you know, as a part of that, and a part of doing theology is being able to use logic in a coherent way. Right. Right? So if Jesus says, I am the way, uh, I am the truth, he doesn't say, uh, you know, the Father is the way, the truth. The Father is uh, revealing me to me some truth. Right. Uh, right. And the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's making it, first of all, there's one of those I am statements about his nature as Yahweh. But second of all, if he is the truth, then, that, then, then by implication, it means he's omniscient. Uh, you know, how, how can, or, or, or I think of John 5 where he says that he does the works of the Father uh, perfectly. He says this over and over. Well, how does he know what the works of the Father is? How does he know that he's perfectly right. doing the will of the Father? Like, we always pray, Father, help us to do your will. Show us what your will is. Uh, but Christ knows perfectly what it is. I was, I was actually in a discussion with some, some friends earlier this morning. And we were talking about whether or not it was a sin to uh, give misinformation, right? So that we... And it, and it reminded me of this discussion, like the truth. In order to be the truth and to be sure you're not ever giving any misinformation, you, you, have to, you have to know all the variables. You have to be able to say with absolute certainty that this is the truth. And you can't do that unless you know everything. You have to be omniscient to make such a statement. Right. Uh, and, and that is absolutely true. He's, he, true. He's not saying I know the truth. He's saying, I am the truth. I'm the essence of truth. And, and that, that implies omniscience. Uh, so back to Matthew 9, 36, because this is the, or Matthew uh, 24, 36, this is the, uh, the, the text that people will use to, de to, to say, see, look, he gave up his voluntary use of his omniscience. Right. Uh, you know, how do, how do we explain that, that text? Uh, I think you made an interesting point when we were talking about it yesterday. Uh, do you remember you were saying, well, the context is the sudden appearance of Christ. Right. He, he, he draws the comparison between that, the, the coming and the days of Noah, where everyone's eating and drinking and giving in marriage, to, to point to the fact that they weren't expecting the judgment to begin, right, the 40 days and 40 nights of rain, when it did. And, and he says, 
in the same way, the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like this, so that we will not be able to, no one, not just, you know, humans, but even the angels won't be able to, to say, oh, this is the day or the hour. And so the, the, the application to the disciples is that they need to be being circumspect about right. this and thinking about Christ can come back. Right. And, and that's, that's the point. Jesus is making an emphatic statement about his, uh, the, the sudden return. Uh, and, and, I, and, and I think there's something else, too, where, he, where, where he's describing created beings. He says, uh, not, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son. Uh, and I think that's a reference to his humanity, which, which in his humanity, it was a created a created uh, thing. The human nature was a created thing that was uh, knit together in the womb of Mary. And so the emphasis here is that there, there, there's no created thing because the secret things belong to God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Right. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever. And so what Jesus is saying is that this is not for, uh, for, for humans or, or created things to know. This, this is something that is bound up in the decree of God alone. Uh, that, 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 and that's the entire point of that statement, which is telling the disciples, don't worry about that. Uh, it, it, God has appointed a time, and, and, and just like he's appointed the day of our death and after that the judgment, and we don't know what that uh-huh. is, our job is to be faithful. And, 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 uh, and this is exactly what Matthew 24 is there for, uh, to, to, to uh, compel the church toward faithfulness and not get caught up in all of this prophetic stuff. It, it, and so when you take About, a yeah, go ahead. when you take a closer look at the context, you're able to determine that there's actually a reason for this statement that's said this way. And and there's a reason that this Christ is certain to emphasize that point, right? right. To show the suddenness of the coming. But the, but the issue is is when people canonicisms do theology based on this. Right. And th- so there so there needs to be a basic ground rule of like how do we actually put these things together right Matthew 24 36 and then all these other passages right and and that's where we're comparing scripture and scripture but uh it, it, you know in Matthew 24 36 speaking of his omniscience or or his his lack thereof of not knowing the day or the hour uh when when we compare that with scripture there are certain things that we need to be able to say, uh, and this comes back to the 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 issue here that that we started with that the the word took on flesh, right? And so the you know Christ uh, or God the Son the Son of God took on human uh, humanity, and in that taking on humanity, he took on limitation in his. In the human nature, right? He added the the the, um, the, the nature of humans to the person uh, of the Son, uh, and that's that's a baseline reality that uh, that that when Christ did this, he took on humility. That's what Philippians two is saying, that he took on humility, he took on limitation, he took on human nature because humans are finite. Right? This, is, this is what is being expressed. So right. that passage in Matthew 24, 36 is a reference to the finiteness of humans, which is the emphasis there. 
This isn't, this isn't uh, intended for those who are finite to know the secret things that belong to God. But this brings us back to where we need to start with uh, in this, this, is rea- this reality of, uh, of what Philippians 2 is saying. It, it's, right. it's talking about this taking. He doesn't empty himself and not become God. He, rather, he, 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 there's this uh, uh, kineo reality is, is, is him humbling himself. And that's a good way to say it. He humbled himself. W- would, you, would you agree with that? Right. It, I, I, I would. Uh, you notice in verse 7 where it says the, the phrase emptied himself. Uh, there's a by, which, is, which, is, which says this is how he did it. And then the by... Taking upon, taking upon himself the form of a slave by, by being made in the likeness of right. The way he humbled himself in this passage is explicitly connected to right. taking upon himself the form of a slave. Right. So he took servant. on humility, he took on hunger, he took on the ability to die right. as a human, and uh, he took on finiteness. And so when we come across passages in, this, in the scripture which talk about something, so, you know, like Jesus hungering, Right. Uh, or, or Jesus, uh, you know, uh, being, being crucified to a cross. Being tired in John 4, right? Uh, what's that? Being tired in John 4 as Being well. tired. Yeah. What we're talking about is that limitation. Th- this was a very humbling thing that he took on because you have a, a, a limitless God or infinite God who takes on in, into his person a finiteness. Right. And, and, uh, and so you find that through Scripture that there are times where, where Jesus will speak of uh, or he'll demonstrate his power as God, but other times will he'll, he'll speak from his finiteness as a human. And this becomes the, the, the mind-boggling reality of what it means for him to become flesh, uh, right. to take on this, 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 this finiteness as a, as a human or this humility. Right, and I think using this as a, a paradigm, we can, we can see these passages where he says... Uh, where John says, I have, he has no need that anyone would tell him concerning man, because he knows what is in man. In John 4, where he obviously knows all about the woman's sins and tells her that. Right. And then the passage, like, 2436, and say, well, he doesn't know this, or even in the first part of that passage in John 4, where he's, he's hungry, or he's thirsty, and he asks for a drink of water, right? Those are, using this paradigm, we could say that those hungry and thirsty are related to his human nature. Right. And the, the characters of omniscience are related to his divine nature. Right. And this is, this is so important because uh, is it possible for God to hunger? No. Is it possible for God to be tired? No. Is it possible for God to die? No. You know, that, that, that's, that's, uh, that last one there is an important point because there's a lot of songs we sing in worship, especially around Easter time. Right which we say things like God died. Well, God cannot die. If God can die, uh, you know, he, he holds all things together, right? Uh, what's, it, what's it in Colossians? Uh-huh. Uh, Colossians uh, uh, 117, he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. If God dies, who's holding all things together, no. right? Like it can't happen. It's not possible for God to be God and to experience uh, or, or to, uh, to, to experience things that are human, right? So, uh, so, so it required that, that God the Son take on 
uh-huh. human experience. And, and as, as difficult as that to get, get our mind around, this is the baseline reality. We're talking about divine nature and human nature, and we've got to be able to read the text like that. Right. <clears throat> and and, and the, reading the text like this isn't just a useless practice of intellectualism because it actually has great or massive implications for the atonement, right? You know, how is Christ able to pay for the sins of all of his people if he's just a human like the rest of us? Right. Uh, it, it, is, it is absolutely essential that Christ is God and that Christ is man. Right. Uh, he, he took on, and, and this, you know, there, there are implications. Uh, um, and I, I don't remember, it was Gregory of Nazianus, uh, um, uh, I don't remember how he said it, but this idea of, of what, what, what he's taken on is what he's healed. Right. Uh, and, and so he, he took on everything related to a human in order to heal human nature. And, and this is where we get, for God so loved the world, or, or rather humanity, or, or in, thus, in this way is, is a better tech, uh, translation. For God so loved the world in this way, thus he died on the cross. It is because God has chosen in his eternal decree uh, to take on flesh and thus heal the human. And in doing so, he took on a human nature. He took on a human will, a human soul. Because that is the, you know, the essence of our sin, right? The willingness, uh, our, 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 um, our voluntary you know, living out our desires, our choosing to sin, or our, right. our, our, our internal heart. Uh, all of these things are corrupted. And Jesus had to atone for it all. So he had to take on human nature in right. every way. Uh, and, and so this is what, we're, what the, uh, we're, we're saying, and this is what the, uh, uh, the, the early church said. Uh, and let me just read the Council of Chalcedon and uh, the decree that they came up with in the 451, which worked out all of, uh, uh, of some of these, you know, there, there, there's a lot that, that, that is still being worked through as we talk about the Incarnation, but here's some precise language that is helpful. You can say right, something. Right, the, uh, I was just going to say that the things we're talking about here aren't, aren't new doctrines right. that we're making up on the right. spot. No, this is, this is, this is, this is stuff uh, from 325, and uh, people will always complain, well, you're, 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 you're going back to creeds and confessions and being confessional, and, and, and you're not looking to the Scripture, and it's, it's the Bible alone. No, actually... Uh, these these creeds and confessions uh, they they help us with precise language that work these things out because these men were looking to their Bibles and they were fighting over these issues and and they were debating over these issues and using Scripture to do it and uh, and so we look at these creeds and the confessions and and we see how they line up with Scripture and we find them incredibly useful because of their precision. Right. And, and so the, the uh, Council of Chalcedon, uh, the Chalcedonian Creed, it, it reads like this. It says, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at once complete in divinity and complete in manhood. So there you have divine and you have human. Truly God and truly man. He doesn't, they don't say 100% God and 100% man because there's no, God isn't 200%. And we've heard that a lot. And so they were precise even in saying that. They're, they're not using faulty math here. Uh, it's truly God and truly man, consisting also of a rational soul and body, uh, and of one substance with the Father as regards to his Godhead, 
and at the same time of one substance with us as regards to his manhood. Uh, like us in all respects, apart from sin, as regards his godhood, begotten of the Father before the ages, but as yet as regards his manhood, begotten, and that word begotten, uh, born for us men and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized, and listen to this, in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of nature is being in no way annulled by the union. Uh, so, so, so you don't have this, this fusing together. There was a guy named Eutychus who was teaching. I think that's how you say his name. I, I'm probably saying it wrong. But he was teaching that the God nature and the human nature fused uh, together to create uh, something. Uh, did, did I lose you? You're right. Uh, fused together to create uh, uh, some, some, some other thing. Uh, but, but they're saying, no, it is without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of nature is being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and one subsistence. And that word subsistence is where you, we get the word hypo, uh, hypostasis or hypostatic union right. from. Uh, almost done here. Not as parted or separated into two persons, but one in the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, Lord Jesus Christ. So the reason they make that statement there is because people heard this and they said, wait, are you saying that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the man? Right. Four, four persons in the Trinity, because uh, that's what it sounds like. Uh, right. And, uh, and, and they're, they're saying, no, no, no. He didn't, he, he didn't come together to form uh, uh, two persons in the Son. Rather, there's the person of the Son who took on human nature, but he retained his divine nature. There's no right. giving up of his divine. There's only taking on his human nature. Right. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that it is very precise and, and, and helpful language, and there's a lot there that that's describing uh, about the, uh, the reality of, of who Jesus is. And so what would you say? Uh, we need to close because we, uh, we have church starting uh, here and I need to be down there. So, uh, in summary, uh, what, what would you what would you say? How, how would you summarize this this discussion? Well, so far. Well, we started we started by discussing like the the different passages in Scripture that can lead you to opposite conclusions. Uh, we had in John two where Jesus doesn't need anyone to tell him what's in man because he knows everything that's in man. You have in Matthew twenty four where Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour. Um, no one does except the Father in heaven, right? And you have these two, these two passages which come together uh, to, to form maybe a sort of contradiction if you're not thinking and putting them together. But, that, but then we had the way that people solve this was the, something called canonicism, which essentially means that Christ gives up in some respects, his deity. Whether, whether uh, a voluntary giving up right. part of his attribute to the, would be like a semi or semi middle, middle canonicism. Or he stops entirely. Or he stops entirely, right. Yeah. But, but the issue of that, the issue with that, which we talked about, is that these passages that are claims to omniscience or claims to omnipotence or blatant omnipotence in the raising of Lazarus, they show that he isn't just a regular human. And, right? and, then, we, and then we got, you know, his ability to atone for us is dependent upon two natures united in one person, right? Yeah. Which is the human nature and the divine nature. 
And so, uh, essentially, uh, this leaves us with a sense of, like, wonder at how the, the, God, the Son of God took upon himself the human nature to live on this earth and then die on the cross for our sins and yeah. was raised against according to the scriptures. That's the wonder of this, yeah. that, that humility, it, it never ceasing to be God, yet united in his person to a human nature that bleeds, gets hungry and tired. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, an, it's an incredible reality. And, uh, and it has eternal, eternal implications, and I think that it will take eternity for us to work out uh, all of There's so many questions about this, uh, but uh, I, I think you're right. You summarized it well. We must be very careful that we don't make God into something he's not or Jesus right. into something he's not. We, we want to be accurate about who Jesus is. Uh, it is not possible for God to be God and to set, apart any part, set aside any part of what it means to be God. And we didn't really get into those implications on, on the divine side. But, but, right. uh, but as soon as you start going down that road, you end up dividing up the Trinity. And there's all kinds of things. Uh, but what happens in canonicism as a, as a, uh, you know, a, a, um, a succinct statement, uh, I think in the end the gospel's lost. Right. The gospel is lost. Uh, you know, to say it in a, in a pithy way, uh, that, that's, that's, that's the danger. Uh, right. whether, whether semi-canonicism or full-on canonicism. Uh, it, it's a loss of, of, of the gospel. We've either a man who cannot atone for our sins, right. or we have a God who is, is unable to take on and to, to heal what he cannot take on. Right? Right. right, right. He doesn't take on full humanity, and therefore full humanity isn't atoned for. Right. So... All right, this has been, this has been good. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start the bumper music. This isn't the bumper music I want to use, but it came with this, uh, this <laughs> kit here that I bought that helps us do these podcasts. So here we go. Uh, there, there we go. And, uh, so thank you, Shiloh, for, uh, for coming. Uh, more good stuff to come. Right. Uh, probably to it. Uh, won't, won't hear as much from you. You're heading up to Heartland to work at camp. Uh, so... We'll miss you, but thank you. I uh, appreciate your yep, time. Thank you.